0: We're in the book of Nehemiah. We've said it's never too late for a new beginning. Look at your neighbor and say, it's never too late for your new beginning. God's got something for you. Last week, we, we recognized that we all need to keep our praise. No matter what you're going through, even though the circumstances are rough Even though the enemy is being relentless, even though it looks like we may never reach our intended finish line, praise him anyway. Praise opens the door. Praise changes things. Praise changes the atmosphere of your life. The psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Continually. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Somebody needs to hear your praise. Somebody needs to hear you thanking the Lord for all he's done. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me. It was just in time. Oh, I'm going to praise his name. And each day he's just the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at the loan. Look what the Lord has. And I'm going to praise him. It says, so he said, the humble will hear it and rejoice. When somebody hears your praise, it brings rejoicing in their spirit. David said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fear. And then he offers the guy he's talking to, he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. His mercies endure forever. His favor lasts a lifetime. What an awesome God. So praise him. Praise him even in the tough times, even though it may look like you're not going to make it. I'm still standing. As we were talking about some of the things that God had done in our life, it, it reminded me of six years ago when I had a heart attack. And the doctor told me, this is what we call the widow maker. You had 100% blockage. Nobody walks away from that. I said, well, he said, we shouldn't be having this conversation. We should be having your funeral. Yeah. Look what the Lord has done. Hey, Look what. Come on. When you remember what God's brought you through, nothing you face can You don't have any fear. David walked into the camp and he saw Goliath taunting the the armies of Israel. And he walks up and he says, dude, I killed a lion. I killed a bear. God has helped me through all of that. The God who helped me kill the lion, the God who helped me kill the bear is going to help me kill this, this uncircumcised Philistine." Look what the Lord has done. Don't lose your praise. Never let your praise turn into complaining and grumbling and whining. I just don't know. That's what happened to Judah. Judah's praise turned into complaining. You can't let your praise be lost. This is how I fight my battles. My weapons are my praise and my thanksgiving. Today we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse number 1, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies. All these guys are enemies. They found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and the no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Oh, no. Oh, no. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message and each time I gave the same reply. Amen. Sorry, can't come. I'm engaged in a, in a great work. I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping what God's called me to do. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came up with came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. And he also reports that you have, been a, you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to, to proclaim about you, look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. And I replied, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. This is the enemy. The enemy, he loves this. Intimidation, discouragement. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Because when you face... The enemy, head on, you've got to have some greater determination. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the grandson of and and, who was confined to his home. And he said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, O oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sambalat have done, and remember Noadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And during those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father in law was Shechaniah, son of Aaron. and his son Jehoanan was married to the daughter Meshulam, son of Berechiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told him everything I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. So the wall was finally finished success. 52 days. It's amazing what can be accomplished in such a short amount of time when everyone gets on the same page, when everybody's focused on the same mission. It's like what happened in our kid's wing. I mean, the guys just came together and within a short amount of time, Walls were torn down, walls were built, place was immaculate, and all of a sudden we're like, wow, we can step in. Because everyone was on the same page. Why was Nehemiah so successful? First off, this work was of God. When your work is of God, He's going to back you up. And secondly, You've got total unreserved dedication and cooperation of Nehemiah. It takes both, it takes the hand of God and the hand of man. God could blanketly heal everyone, but He chooses to use you and me as His vessels. He can save anyone, but He uses you and me to speak forth the truth. He doesn't send angels. Angels do come. They are ministering spirits. But he uses us, human flesh, to bring his life. Come on. We get to be a part of what God is doing. There's always the divine and the human. God initiates, and we dedicate ourselves and cooperate with him. God initiates, we dedicate ourselves and cooperate with him. The power place was initiated by God. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't a good idea. It was a God idea. and That's why we're here today. And though, though there were many oppositions saying, you can't do that, you can't come to Kennet Square, you can't start a church here, we don't need any more churches. Though there was plenty of opposition in the, in the witchcraft realm pushing against us, fasting and praying to Satan that we would be driven out of this city, Looks like we're still standing. Because when God initiates your new beginning, it will succeed. Hallelujah. If God's involved, you will succeed. Philippians 1.6, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He who began a good work in you We'll see it to completion. I may be a work in progress, but he's finishing what he started. This church may be a work in progress, but God's going to finish what he started. He doesn't mess around. When he calls, he empowers, he supplies. Jesus said in John chapter 5 verse 19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son himself can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So here Jesus on earth says, I can't do anything but what I see the Father doing. And if the Father's doing it, I'm getting involved. And we all need to live like that. What we see God doing, we get involved and do what He's doing. John 4 34. Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. God starts the work. We come alongside and help him finish. Even the work that he began in you and your salvation, you got to cooperate. God's not going to force change on you. He nudges you. He pushes you in the right direction, but you got to cooperate. And if you don't cooperate, you lose. So let's cooperate with the nudge of the Spirit of the living God. All we have to do is partner with what God's doing and he'll, we'll be successful. So we ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? I only want to do what you're blessing, Lord. I don't want to do my own thing. I don't want to do my thing and ask you to bless me. I want to do what you're blessing. Because when I do what you're blessing, I step into your flow. It's already working. It's already flowing that way. It's already, it's already headed in that direction. Are you with me today? God wants to use every one of us, channels through which He can flow, instruments through which He can play, tools He can skillfully use. Be that, be that. So, what was the opposition in this last minute attempt to keep the wall from being completed? It was a sneak attack. And the enemy loves sneak attacks, subtle compromise, subtle compromise. The upfront attacks were useless. So now, let's be friends. Let's just be friends. Just let down your standards. Nehemiah, come down to our level. Don't be so extreme. Don't be so fanatical. Don't be so narrow minded. Come on, Nehemiah, come on down. Come on down. And Satan's always saying, come down, compromise. Come on, come on down. Come down off your wall, compromise. The problem is when when you're not working for the Lord, you have plenty of time to hang out with the enemy. So be on your guard. Get to work in the kingdom of God. Whatever God's called you to do, do it. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, Paul the Apostle is writing to the Corinthian church. He says, these people are false prophets, false apostles. They're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Nehemiah knew one thing. The enemy is always planning to harm us. His response was, I'm working for God. I'm engaged in a great work. I can't come down. Sorry. not getting engaged in your little... War of words. I don't have time for that. I'm working for God. I'm doing what God asks me to do. I have time to sit down and have a little cup of coffee and hang out with you and listen to your little rumors, little stuff that's going on. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 But among you, there must not be even a hint of se- sexual immorality, not even a hint or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient." Therefore, do not be partners with them. There's some things you can't partner with. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you're the light. You're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. You ever ask yourself, What pleases the Lord? You need to. Is what you're doing pleasing to the Lord? And then he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. I mean, sin, sin kind of like a sneeze really feels good at first, but it leaves a huge mess. Come on. No compromise. So, there's all kinds of sneak attacks going on here. Sneak attack number two. You got the subtlety of slander. In verse five, it says there, there's a rumor. According, according to his report, they say it's true. And I wish I, wish I could tell you all the, the rumors and slanders that have gone around about us and this church. And, and it, it's the most amazing thing. And Nehemiah's like, dude, nothing about what you're saying is true. You're making all this up. If if they can't persuade you to compromise, they'll begin to spread rumors about you and misrepresent your motives. If you're all out for God, you will become the target for others' tongues. That's good news. For those of you who are facing rumors and slander. And let me just say this. God forbid that any of us should be a tool in Satan's hands by spreading stuff. It's dangerous. We believe in the Matthew 18 principle here. If you've got something against somebody or somebody has something against you, you go to them. You deal with them. You don't start spreading gossip. You don't start talking about, around about, well, did you hear what? Did, did that? And I don't know. Really? Wow. And all you've played the telephone game. You know that game. You whisper something to somebody's ear. They whisper it to the next person's ear. They whisper it to the next person's ear. And before you know it, the whole story has changed so much. There's no truth in what's, what's at the end of that. And some of us have, have bought that. We've, we've lived that. We've spoken that. We've gotten involved. Lord, help us. It's a tool of Satan. Yeah. Sneak attack number three, the subtlety of man's counsel. It's even disguised as God's counsel. It was prophecy. If prophecy doesn't line up with the word of God, it's not prophecy. It's false. He says, let's meet inside the temple of God. Your enemies come to kill you. Someone said, Satan is far less dangerous as a roaring lion than an angel of light. He sneaks, sneaks around like an angel of light. Nehemiah's response reflected his knowledge of the word of God. He knew Numbers chapter 18 verse 7 says, but only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I'm giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary is to be put to death. And here you've got the enemy trying to talk him into going into the sanctuary. Nehemiah's like, like, dude, seriously? I'm not having any part of it. You're trying to kill me. And I I recognize that because I know what the Word of God says. You can't fool me when I know the truth. When I've handled the truth, you can't fool me. Handle the truth long enough and everything false sticks out. We got our first million dollar gift this week at this church. It was a million-dollar bill. It looks pretty good. No, really, it does. It looks pretty real. And then you feel it. And you recognize this isn't real. This is fake. Now, someday I'm going to tell you we got our first million-dollar gift, and it's going to be real. But once you've handled the truth long enough... Anything false sticks out. Come on, you got to read the Word of God. you got to know what God says in His truth. So that when the enemy comes and tries to subtly get you off course, you can't because you know the Word of God inside and out. We can never be leaders if we're governed by what other people think. If as God's servants, our decisions are based upon popular opinion, we will fail. The word of God is our final authority, and we stand on his word. Paul said to the Galatians, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I can't be a servant of Christ if I'm trying to please everybody around. You can't please everybody around you. You've got to know what God says, and you've got to be a God-pleaser, period. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, be a God-pleaser. I can't come down. I'm doing what God's called me to do. I can't come down. I'm winning the approval of God, not man. Can't come down. Nehemiah chapter 7. After the wall was finished, I'd set up the doors and the gates. The gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. And I said to him, do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. And even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve as sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. Listen, you're a gatekeeper to your home. You're a gatekeeper to your home. You hold the key of what comes in and what goes out. Don't be a wimp. Be a gatekeeper. Know what's going on in your house. Have some conversation. Put your big boy pants on. Put put your girl panties on, your big girl panties. Let's go. Let's go. Be a gatekeeper at your house. Guard your gates. Don't let the enemy in. Don't let stuff in your house that doesn't belong there. Some of you need to cancel some stuff on your television. You need to cancel some of your subscriptions to stuff. Because you're the gatekeeper and you're, you're opening the gate for anything the enemy wants to bring in. You need to be the gatekeeper of your house. Now, I think it's very interesting that uh, in verse verse 1, he appointed singers and Levites to guard the gates. Why did he do that? Because worship and praise and proper teaching are vital to keeping the enemy out. Some of us, we, we let the enemy in just because we simply set our praise aside. We quit praising God when things start going bad. And then he's like, ah, oh, I can get in there now because they ain't praising anymore. And you need to crank that praise music in your house, you need to get the PowerPlace worship CD going in your house. Get it on Spotify. Get it on iTunes. Start, start playing it in your house, in your car, everywhere you go. Guard your gates. Set up some worship and praise to guard your gates. And the Levites, teach, teach, teach. Teach the truth. Worship and praise and proper teaching are vital to keeping the enemy out. Don't lose your praise. Know the truth. The truth will set you free. Also notice in, in verse 2, Nehemiah put in charge a faithful man, man of integrity who feared God more than most, a man who stood out above the crowd, a man of deep spiritual convictions. Remember last week, Nehemiah said, because I feared God, I didn't act that way. There's some stuff you don't do because you fear God. There's some places you don't go because you fear God. There's some stuff you don't get involved in because you fear God. Because you will stand before Almighty God someday and give an account because I feared God, I didn't act that way. First Corinthians 4.2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Faithfulness is a big deal to God. And this man was faithful. He was a faithful man who feared God. And so Nehemiah said, I put him in charge. I put him as the commander. Jesus told the parable about entrusting three different men with his stuff and And in uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 19, after a long time, the the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And someday Jesus is coming back and he's going to settle accounts with us. What have you done with what he's entrusted to you? What are you doing with what God has entrusted to you? The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Faithfulness. Nehemiah's brother was faithful. Faithful to God. I wonder what would God put you in charge of based on your faithfulness. What's he entrusted you with? Guard your own house. Don't let your guard down. Praise, teach, watch and pray. And and don't let the great victories in the past make you underestimate today's enemy. Remember Joshua and, and... Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, 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 Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. And then they had this great victory, and, and they, the next city was Ai, and it was like, yeah, not a big deal. <laughs> Ai, we just killed Jericho. And they got routed. Of course, they were sin in the camp, but they underestimated the power of the enemy. Guard yourself. We always need the Lord. We always need the Lord. Just because you've had victories in the past doesn't mean you're guaranteed victory today. You always need the Lord. You always need his power. You always need his wisdom. You always need his guidance. And then in chapter 7, Nehemiah then lists all the people by family groups, and I won't read that to you. You're welcome. And then it says in verse 70 of Nehemiah 7, Some of the family leaders gave gifts for the work. The governor gave to the treasury a 1,000 gold coins, 50 gold basins, 530 robes for the priests. The other leaders gave to the treasury a total of 20,000 gold coins, some 2,750 pounds of silver for the work. The rest of the people gave 20,000 gold coins, about 2,500 pounds of silver, and 67 robes for the priests. The people gave to support God's work. And listen, when you're a part of the family, you don't think anything about giving. When you're part of the family, it's just what we do. They gave willingly. They gave what they had. And if you calculate, and I didn't take the time to do that, but if you calculate this, this is multiple millions of dollars worth of gold and silver multiple millions, and we will have a million-dollar gift soon. Chapter 7, verse 73, so the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and some of the common people settled near Jerusalem. (coughs) The rest of the people returned to their own towns throughout Israel. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. This is all the word of God they had at this point. So on October 8, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women, all the children old enough to understand. And he faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning till noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. And all the people listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. To his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, all those guys. To his left stood Peliah and those guys. And Ezra stood on the platform in the full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. They had such reverence for the word of God. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, 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 Amen. It's a word that means so be it. Yes, I agree. Amen. That's why we say that around here. Amen. 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 They chanted amen, amen as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, those guys, they instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord our God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. You see, when you hear how far off you are from God's word, something happens in your spirit. And you start to weep and realize, man, I'm off. I am way off. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with the feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where that scripture is found. We talk about it all the time. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep. Because they were, they were just crying. They are weeping and loud wailing. Don't weep, hush. This is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's words and understood them. I've had many people tell me over the years, I finally understand what God's saying. It's changed my life. They turned from working on the wall to working on their will. They turned from working on the wall to working on their will. Not my will, but thine be done, Lord. It doesn't matter what I want to do, I want to do what you want to do. And it was a day of rejoicing because they were finally coming back to doing things right according to the Word of God. In verse 12, he says, They celebrated because they understood. And we can celebrate because we understand what God is saying to us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I want you to notice that conviction is good and it will bring you to tears. But Satan can twist God's conviction to try and condemn you and rob you of your joy. But there's no no condemnation. Just conviction. And conviction drives you to God. Condemnation drives you away from God. I mean too often we think we think of joy as the fish that got away. Somewhere out there is joy. It'd be great. It'd be amazing. It would be, it would be ours if, if only, if only, if only we were healthy and if only we were out of debt. Or I'd have joy if only this prayer was answered. Or if that conflict was resolved. Or I'd have joy if this circumstance was different. And joy is not hilarity, it's not hollow laughter, it's not cheap emotion, it's much deeper than that. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit of God living in you. Come on. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is what gives you buoyancy, keeps you floating on top. First of all, joy is a byproduct of forgiveness. Joy is a byproduct of forgiveness. When you've been forgiven and you know that you're accepted by God, reconciled, set free, bought with a price, delivered from sin, out of bondage, covered by the blood of Jesus, on your way to heaven, it brings amazing joy. When you realize what God has done for you, hallelujah. Romans says there's no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now there's no condemnation. Not then, now we can live without condemnation. We've been forgiven Hallelujah. God forgives and he forgets. He casts your sin as far away from you as the east is from the west. He tosses them in his sea never to be dredged up and remembered against you again. That's joyful thinking. Come on. Hallelujah. Forgiveness is the secret of joy. Secondly, joy becomes real in affliction. Joy becomes real in affliction. You'll never know how much joy you have until you face some affliction. You can be happy and joyful all the time when not everything going your way. When you start to get squeezed, what's inside comes out. The olive's greatest contribution comes when it's crushed. That oil that flows releases Oil. The oil is what gives it light. The grape releases its best when it's squeezed and crushed. You had some this morning in our communion time. It came because it was crushed. And that squeezing, that crushing brings out the best when we're filled with the best. So joy becomes real in affliction. Number three. Joy is released when we obey God. Where you're in the, in the center of obedience with God, his joy fills you. Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His obedience kept him joyful. The secret of joy lies in doing what the Father has for us to do. Let me just tell you this. Disobedient Christians will never find the joy of the Lord. When you're living in disobedience, you can't be joyful. And number four, joy is independent of circumstances. You have to know that nothing can touch you except by the permission of Father God. And he's a good God. He's a good, good Father everything has to pass through his hand first. James says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know, and you've got to know some things, you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Nothing. Consider it all joy, because you know, even though the circumstances are rough, God's got this. God's working something bigger than what I can see. Come on. Jenny Allen says, I've learned to quit wishing away the hard stuff, because I don't want to miss all the good stuff that goes with it. To accept that life is supposed to be hard is the beginning of joy. Christy had another MRI every six months. She has an MRI to check everything in her neck and throat and tongue. This year was a little different. This this MRI was different. The doctor, as we met with him a few weeks ago, he said, I don't like what I see. There's something in the lymph node on the other side of your neck. So so I want you to go and have an ultrasound biopsy. You never want to hear that. Doesn't matter who you are, how much faith you have. But can I tell you, the enemy didn't get our joy. And this week, on Monday, we went to the University of Pennsylvania to have the biopsy done. Got into the ultrasound. It's a long procedure. And, and, and they, the doctor, the radiologist guy came in and he, he told us everything they were going to do and, and uh, it sounded pretty nasty. And then he, he said, you're going to go get an ultrasound first. And as Christy laid down on the ultrasound table, the lady said, I'm here to see if you actually need the biopsy. We're going to do the ultrasound first. And as she began to do the ultrasound all over her neck and her face, and just she said, I'll be back. She went and conferred with a radiologist called Dr. Weinstein and, and, and began to, to confer with what she saw and what they saw and, and all of that. And she came back in and she said, well, no biopsy needle for you today. There's nothing there. We're not sure what that was, but it's gone. Joy is independent of circumstances. I could be telling you a whole different story today, but we still have the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm not here to wish away all the hard stuff. I don't want to miss the good stuff he's got in the middle of it what he's bringing to me. You see, we can sing in the prison just like Paul and Silas did because they knew God was up to something big. They're not praising because our circumstances are great. No, they're praising because they got the joy of the Lord inside of them and joy bursts forth. It comes from deep within and you can't stop it no matter what your circumstances look like. See, God wants to fill you today because you've been forgiven. His joy wants to fill you even in the midst of your affliction, even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. He wants to fill you with His joy as you obey and do what He's asked you to do. No matter what it looks like on the outside, God's joy can give you the buoyancy that you need. And last but not least, joy isn't just inward. Joy has an outward expression. Joy isn't just inward. Well, I got the joy of the Lord. Really? I never knew. It sure didn't show. Just fill with the joy of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Really? Joy has an outward expression. When, uh, I don't know. I, Jesus said you need to become like little children. And I watch my little grandkids dance. They're filled with joy. Nobody's stolen it yet. Come on. Nobody's talked them out of it yet. They haven't been through enough stuff to rob them of their joy. They just bounce. They're like, ah, yeah. Joy. I will bless the Lord at all times I will bless the Lord at all times come on stand with me I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul shall make its boast in the Lord the humble will hear and rejoice oh magnify the Lord with me let us exalt his name together I sought the Lord and he answered me delivered me from all my fear hallelujah oh thank you Lord Ah, oh, I taste and see that the Lord is good How blessed is the one who who puts their full trust in him. Oh, the humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. He's worthy. Yes, he is. Thank you, Lord.